And now, weighing in out of the blue corner, Josh the Pong Thompson. 100% and on the other mic, he weighs in from the red corner, Big John McCarthy. All right, guys, you're here with another uh, episode of Weighing In. It's Big John McCarthy and myself. Uh, we are going to do a quick little recap of basically this weekend in Bellator. I was in London. Back was, from London. How you feeling, man? It, I feel I slept pretty good. I got plenty right. of sleep. I got plenty of sleep on the plane. Slept pretty good last night, and uh, the fights were great. I thought I thought the undercard was phenomenal. The, the undercard had a lot of good fights. It did have um, some good fights. Yeah. I watched. Yeah, <laughs> I watched. No, I, I did not get the first two. But other than that, I watched. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that young girl, McIntyre, she's she's tough. She is tough. She's tough. The one you missed. Yeah, she, she's tough. She's good. Uh, what I liked is she made some adjustments. In the, and even though she was winning, she was making adjustments as the fight was going on. She did some serious damage with her hands. And uh, that's what you'd like to see from a pro debuter. I mean, that's, this is how we build up young talent. And, I mean, everyone keeps knocking. I think they go to the – they try to knock right away. All oh, these fighters don't have any experience. Yeah, because anybody that has experience, they're just going to try to jump on the UFC bandwagon. You're trying to grab guys when they're young. You're trying to grab the young talent while you can, and you know, and then build them up to be stars. That's the best thing that, that right now, like we understand that we have to do. Everyone looks at the UFC and like you look at the guys that were real popular for a while. Yeah, T. Wood was a champ. Luke was a champ. You know, um, what's called DC's been the champ. You know, like you have all these guys that came over that were that were big big splashes in the UFC, but they all were built up as stars in, in strike force. And I'm simply saying it's like, you have to, we have to take young, young people and make them stars. You know, even though Nick and, and Robbie were in the UFC before, but their career was resurrected back in strike force. And then they were built up again. And confidence, like we've talked about is, is always the key into building young athletes and uh, getting them back on track. And so I'd like to see, uh, I like to see, sometimes you see some pro debuters, but at least they lived up to the hype of the pro debuter that you're looking for. You know, someone that you know you can build around. Like, that was a pretty dominant performance by someone, um, you know, and they had fought before, and uh, but she, she had a real good performance. The first time they had fought her, uh, she had fought her, she had submitted her, and this time she had a stoppage. I mean, it was nasty. She had her with some good clean shots. Uh, she was, you, you were saying it exactly right. Her head was on that center line, mm -hmm. and she was not moving. It was like a... It was just stuck up there like a, yeah. I don't you know, just this perfect pinata, mm -hmm. and she was she was tagging it. She was yep. she was putting some some mitts to her. But you know, you're right about it, the the thing to think about is many times guys are really good. They're special, mm -hmm. and you see it in the gym even when they've they're out of their you know pro debut or they've had one you know professional fight, but they get put into that big show. A little too soon they're not quite prepared for it not only physically mentally there really is where the problem lies mm. you know there's pressures that people don't understand and they need to you know sometimes just gain that more experience without having all the pressure and yeah. not having that spotlight on them and and you know that that's how guys grow and that's exactly what happened with you know robbie lawler you know, when he came in, they put a big spotlight on him in the UFC. If you recall back, you know, they'd put on a, a special show. It was UFC 37.5. We had a point five. Yeah, I know. Okay. I was supposed to fight. I was supposed to fight uh, Joao Perini on that on that card. Oh, you should have. I got I got hurt. I know. <laughs> Frank Shamrock hurt me the week before the fight. Uh, he you hurt me. Smack him. Yeah, uh, but, he, uh, yeah. 
you know, that that show was the, the best damn sports show, period. And it mm-hmm. was Robbie Lawler that they decided that they were going to put forward as that young talent. They put him yeah. against Steve Berger. And, you know, Steve Berger was a good fighter, but they put Robbie out there to be that guy. And they put so much pressure on him. Yeah. That it, at the time he wasn't he wasn't ready for it. So, you know, you, you're gonna get everybody with their ideas, and I, I love the internet and I love social media for all the uh, geniuses that are out there and you know all of their thoughts. But you know, the fact is, someone gets a chance; it's that opportunity. If they can make that opportunity work, congratulations, man. That's what it's there for. If you can't, then you step back and come back and try it again later. Yeah, there was another fight on the card that uh, on the undercard that was it, look. It didn't live up to the hype that I thought it was gonna. But Whiteford and Sam Cecilia. Oh no, it was a, great. Was a freaking it great was great fight. I mean, it had all the drama and all the things and all a little that bit of the suspense. Yeah, but it had a little bit of boringness in the beginning because there was so so much respect mutually for each other in the first yeah. round. And I was like, gosh, you guys, just do Sam something. Sam had that fight. Yeah, he did. He was he was he moments away. Mo- what Mo- I would say, yeah, but that you got to give it to Whiteford and the way yeah. he went after it. Sam got tired, and then Sam started looking at the clock, and Sam stopped being offensive. Yeah, and that was his undoing. Yeah, I mean, I called it on the on the commentary. I told I said I told Dave Ferrar. I said, hey, you when he had him rocked, and he was on top of him after the in the beginning of the third round, he had him rocked, got on top. Then he didn't do anything. Gave him yep. a moment to breathe. Gave him, just let it go a little bit. Not even have to do, any, not even, don't try to finish him. Just touch, 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 body, body, head. Something like that to keep him guessing. Little hammer fist. But just to make him think like, oh man, I got to try to get out of here. Make him panic more. Make him stress. But he didn't do any of that. And he just held him there. And then by then he recovered fully. Yep. And he was, way, he was able to get back to his feet and finish the fight. I was just like. I can't believe this is happening. Oh, it just, it caught me, man. It just really caught me by surprise. But, um, and then the, um, the Nathan Rose fight with, uh, I can't remember the kid's name. Damn it. I feel so bad. I feel feel bad. I forgot his name. Nathan Rose fought a guy and the two, and he got cut really bad in the beginning of the first round, but it was a phenomenal fight. I mean, he, Uh, he, I I know which one you're talking about. The um, the two, two tall, thin kids. Yes. Yeah. no, no, Nathan Rose is uh, the kind of yoked up um, uh, black guy. But he was so good, so good. Nathan is, was putting the pressure, was landing some good shots in the first round, cut him viciously. Howdy Hardwick? Big, huh? Howdy Hardwick, Hardwick. Hardwick, sorry. God, name just escaped my mind. I was thinking Whiteford the whole time, Whiteford, Whiteford. Anyways, Hardwick fought a phenomenal fight with that big gash on his I mean, we're talking Marvin Eastman style, like gash on the, on the head. I was like, Oh gosh, that is disgusting. But the, the corners, I got to tell you, our cut guys did a phenomenal job. Could barely, was barely bleeding kind of the rest of the fight was able to put it together. His conditioning was on point. He did everything he needed to do to win that fight. Nathan Rose just ran out of gas. You could tell halfway through the second round, he was tired. And then when that happened, White, uh, what's it called? Hardwick. 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 Just, I keep thinking Whiteford. <laughs> Hardwick just, just kept pushing the pace, pushing the pace, and he just, he had some nice work and was able to, you know, do a, a fantastic job. I got to tip my hat to that young man. He fought a great fight with a cut like that. Most, most fighters sometimes will shut down. Or they yeah. just won't do. They won't. They won't fight their fight. You know. Um, and he just, he didn't let it hinder him at all, and just kept coming forward. It was a phenomenal the way it's fight. supposed to be. Phenomenal it's, fight. It's there. There's nothing you can do about it. Just nope. keep going. 
Yeah. How'd you like how'd you like Alfie Davis? Uh look, I, I know I'm supposed to be impressed. I know I am. <laughs> but to I guess to quote the more GSP, I'm not impressed by your performance. <laughs> I just was not impressed. He, there was moments where he'd hit clean shots, clean punches, and he just backed away. And there was moments where he didn't hit anything. He tried to rush and step in. He hasn't figured out. I know he's a really good kickboxer. I know he's like a, a really good, what do you, I don't know, taekwondo, karate style guy. He's got an incredible axe kick. He's amazing. I know. I saw that. I, <laughs> I saw that video. He, he's phenomenal. He's an athlete. He's phenomenal. He's got good conditioning, good cardio. The problem is, is he hasn't figured out the MMA distance and range yet. And the, the, the reason why is like he, he jumps in too much. Some guys, they just don't move back. Like I think in that, in his tournament style of fighting, people move back away from him. They shuffle their feet really well and they, they counter off of that really well. MMA guys don't have footwork like that. So when they when he steps in and slides in and tries to land, I think he's thinking that someone's going to move out of the way. And they're like, no, you're in my range now for me to grab you and throw you down. And and he just he always seems like he's smothering his punches, a little bit of his kicks. But if he doesn't smother his kicks, then he's he's just throwing one, you know, one at a time, one punch, one kick. And then it's going to be hard to get guys out of there with one punch, one kick, when they know you're just going to do something, one thing flashy, and then you're done. So... I, I he just hasn't figured it out yet the MMA game, but when he does, I think he's going to be really good. You know, um, I like to see young athletes like him that are really he really was trying some new things. You know, he, he was working the takedowns, got a couple takedowns. He did some good stuff. I was very impressed with that part of his game. I just and the way he was trying to evolve. I just wasn't impressed with how he's utilizing his stand up just yet. His stand up is unique. Because he, he can throw those kicks. He reminds me of Andy Hoog with his, his axe kick. Because he can stand yeah. uh, you know, basically two feet from you, and he will land that thing. So if you get it, you know, you think that you're in a distance he can't kick you, he will kick you. <laughs> and he'll hit you with his heel. And He's got some dynamic moves. It's just a matter of the entire confidence of the full MMA deal is what he's always been. You know, you're looking at you going. He needs to get that whole transitioning together where it flows. And right now, it's still not flowing, you know, as it should. But it's getting better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I I agree with you 100. I saw a video of him and MVP when they went against each other, and that was pretty cool. Yeah. There was a you know in a, in a karate style or taekwondo style uh, tournament. It was pretty yeah. cool. I was impressed with that. I mean, think about how small he is compared to MVP, and and uh, you know there was a couple moments there where he was able to you know get some nice exchanges with MVP. I thought I I think the sky is the limit for him. He just got to keep evolving and really start to feel more comfortable in the cage. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah. Give him time. That's yeah. that's it. Give him time. Um, the the other thing as well is um, who was the other fight that I wanted to you know. Let me ask you this. I got thrown a little bit like kind of off guard. And you know, when when I was doing when I'm doing the ring interviews and Terry Brazier Brazier grabs the mic and drops a couple <laughs> drops a couple F bombs. And then then I was I just I was like baffled. I'm like, what do I do? Like, what do you do in those situations? I mean, like I just was like shrugged it off, like, gosh, Terry, what are you doing? Uh, We're on national television for you guys. Come <laughs> on. On. Yeah. Nothing. First off, Nothing. when when he jumps in there and grabs a hold of the mic, even though you're holding on to it, yeah, and he says something, 
you can't take you can't take those words back from so hey and you, all, all i do is look at him and say not a good comment and yeah. just move on you know yeah. <laughs> no, just try to make yeah. light of it because that's all it is and, you know he, he needs to figure out if he wants to get that mic time he needs to get a win yeah yeah <laughs> i mean just it, the way well, i'm seeing it because he that, people can see, he can say what he wants uh sore whooped his ass Soren bach whooped his butt and just freaking took everywhere him and i i'm telling you his wrestling is just very technically good yes and his ground game european i'm telling you it's it's right up there close to gunner nelson's hmm. it's good he's got very heavy hips and he controls hmm. positions well and he's good He's he's just he's that grinding monster that he's the European John Fitch. <laughs> yeah, because he I, did I, a great job. You watch the the leg lace that that guy does. It is no accident. He mm -mm. does it time. He hit that same double leg and that yep. same leg lace off of it time after time after time. And Razier knew it was going to happen. Still couldn't stop it from happening. It was just a pattern. He just kept doing the same thing over and over, and he just... And, hey, if it's working. Yeah, and Terry couldn't find... Terry Brazier couldn't find anything... Couldn't find any way to stop it. Every time he wanted to throw something, he just ducked right underneath, boom, right to the double leg, right to the trip, stepped off and stepped back over the legs and laced the legs. Yep. From then on, it was like, you know, the only thing that I thought he could have potentially have done better was turn Terry's back off the fence and lay him back flat so he could potentially posture up or sit up in the mount position for yep. more groundwork. Yeah. But in the process, because Terry's back was against the fence, so he couldn't do a whole lot of damage from that position. But I'm going to say this, and I don't know if it's just because it's the UK fighters, but I want the I want the if the because I know a lot of the UK fighters who came up to you, hey man, we watch your we watch your show, you know, we watch you and Big John and this and that. Like, we, I'm going to say this to you guys because I know you guys are probably all sitting around listening to this. If you guys, if you guys want to make a difference and you want to make a change and what's going on, you guys need to stop bitching about boring fighters. Okay, get the fuck up off the ground and start trying to get a win. That drives me crazy. And I'm a big Paul Daly fan. I'm a huge Paul Daly fan. He did it with John Fitch. But I know it's frustrating. And that's what John Fitch does. You know, and this is what Soren Bach did to Terry. And, and you have these guys. Even Fabian Edwards did a little bit with Shipman. He's looking at the ref like, stand me up. Yeah. They're not. We got. I mean, John. We and I said, and I we're, we're gonna have this. Con we're gonna have this conversation multiple times because LA is coming up, and and I know we're going. I mean, we're going to Hawaii first, then we have LA, but then I'm going back to Dublin. And when I go back to Dublin, which I believe you're going with, is we we're gonna have this full on conversation, and that conversation is gonna be with these guys. Hey, there's a couple things you guys need to understand. The ref is not there to save you. He's there to help you if you get to make sure that you're okay and you're not injured. He's not there to save you from you just fucking laying on your back and smashed by somebody. That is not what they are there for. Okay, and when you look up at the ref and you go, that all that means is to the ref is I'm it, stuck. It, it, no, it just this, means you're this stuck. is what it means. I'll tell you exactly what it means because it's basically you, this. The same statement you will get every time is he's not doing anything. Yeah. And I just look at him and say, and neither the fuck are you. Get yourself out. <laughs> it's, it's frustrating. I was getting upset watching these guys fight. Well, and, and, it, and it, it is that point where they're, they look at it like, well, he's not doing it, but he is working towards something. And as long as he's working towards something, 
That referee is going to let him go, and that's what these guys don't see. It was the same thing with Terry Brazier. There were times I'm looking and I'm saying, go to your side. Because you, when you're on your back and a guy laces your legs, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, now you're sitting up against a fence. Your legs, your feet are up in the air. There's nowhere. Your legs don't bend that way. Yeah. So there's nowhere for you to go. So if you turn to your side, you can actually get some room and scoot one leg out and try to get yourself up. And it's just a system of how, how do you do things? How do you get out of things? Mm-hmm. But I don't know if he doesn't know it. I don't know what's going on. But you you have a guy sitting there with his legs up in the air and you go, you realize you can't get up with him holding your legs that way. Yeah. You know, and it's you're just going to lose this fight. It's You've got to figure it out. The one thing you know you try to tell guys is this. No matter what, yes, you could get tired. And this and it's a great fear among fighters. People sometimes don't realize it. Fighters fear getting tired in the cage because yeah. there's nothing worse. Because when you're tired and you still have to fight, it's agony. And, you know, especially when if someone can then push a pace on you that keeps you in that deficit. But you need to figure out that mental conquest in fights happen all the time. And if you have a guy that takes you down and you do not acquiesce to the position, you don't sit there and say, okay, I will accept this. And you fight against it and you make his life rough and you get yourself back up. You just want a mental battle because especially he takes you down and then it happens a second time. Trust me, in the back of his mind, he's going, holy shit, I can't keep this guy down. Yeah. And that's the way you have to look at it. Yes, I might have to burn gas to get there. Yes, this is going to possibly put me at a deficit when it comes to my cardio. But I need to do this to make him know I will never accept the position. But some guys do and some guys don't. Yeah, being tired makes – and it just makes you feel like less of a man. Like you yeah. cannot – like you can't protect yourself. Yeah. And it really is – it really does hit your ego like, fuck, man. You know, like you're you're less of a man. It, that's what it makes you feel like. Well, you're um, not, but <laughs> yeah, I know. But that, but in your mind, you're that's what's going through your mind. At yeah, that and, moment, and it like, is, and it's that last thing of yeah. man. If I get really tired, I won't be able to protect myself. Yeah, and, and that's a concern. Yeah, yeah. Um, let as far as Terry goes, he just needs to focus on not. Like, and you've said this before when judges or not judges, but refs are. Or look at you. Stop looking at the ref. Stop. Stop looking for them to help. You need to stay focused in the fight. You got to focus on what you need to do to use the techniques to get up. You know. And and I I was trying to explain to somebody. I think we were all having um, we were all meeting up after afterwards and having a conversation with some of the fighters. And during that process, I was telling I was telling some of the fighters like, look, sometimes you have to give up a position to get a position. Some of them were so focused on not giving their back. You know, in that position where Soren Bach had his legs laced and and uh, Fabian Edwards, same thing with Shipman. I want to say it was the beginning of the third round. He got taken down and he had his legs laced also. And sometimes you have to turn enough to give your back. And as you start to give your back and they start to make their way up, then you got to turn back into them or turn turn fully to give their back and push off and get away and get to your hands and feet and knees or whatever it is to get back to your feet. They're so afraid of losing by submission or knockout or anything along those lines that they end up not 
compromising one little tiny position to get themselves back up to their feet. Otherwise, yeah. you're just going to hang out there and just, you want to talk about it being boring. You're making it boring because you're not willing to go that extra mile to give up that position sometimes. You have to have confidence in the fact that you know how to escape the back. You have confidence in the fact of not letting them get the hooks in. You have to have confidence in the fact that you know what you're doing when it comes down to getting out of any position they put you in. And if you don't, that means that you're not doing your job in the gym and you're not prepared to do your job in the cage that night. And those are the moments when I start looking at fighters and they're looking at the refs to like kind of help them along. Why? Like you should be comfortable in every position in this game that you should be able to get out. This is a common thing. If you guys have watched any fights at all, you've, I'm sure everyone's seen Khabib fight. Okay, I did this to KJ Noons back in Strike Force. I took him down, laced his legs, and just kept making him give me his back. You know, and that was it. And when he didn't give me his back, I just went to mount. Like you, these are things. Khabib's made a career out of this now. It's like these are the things that people do. How do you not? Practice this and these escapes all the time. You know, when they were doing the crucifix for a while, you guys got to figure out how to get out of there. And there, there's, mo there's there's ways to get out. You guys just haven't learned it. So when you're on bottom just taking elbows or punches, you got to figure out how to get out of there. Escape well, that's, a little it, as yeah. you said, that's what trade. I don't know. How many times were you in training where you went, they, your coach put you in the worst position and said, get out. Yeah. And then it, when you finally got out, put you right back in the same position. Get out again. And that's all you do. That day, you work on getting out of whatever position it is, if it's crucifix, if it's a leg lace. That is what you do the entire day. And then you come back the next day, and here it comes again. Just get out. And you've got to be comfortable with the worst positions you can be in and know that I have multiple plans a b c to get myself out of these positions if a doesn't work i'm moving to b and if b doesn't work i've got c to try and you've got to have that in the back of your mind because if you don't and you haven't practiced those positions when they happen and they will you're gonna yeah. panic and then bad things will happen exactly um let's talk about fabian edwards and shipman you know what? It was a good fight. It it, it kind of was a little bit more lackluster. I, I want to say this. I, I really like Mike Shipman as a fighter. Yeah. He re, but he reminds me of Keith Jardine. Mm -hmm. And I he, said this in the fighter interview. Same exact thing to Fabian Edwards. I said he's herky jerky. He's got the, it's exact. He's herky yes. jerky. He's mm -hmm. awkward, and in that's why he lost the fight because he didn't lose the fight. I'm just telling mm -hmm. you, Fabian Edwards got a gift. You know, if you look yeah. at who landed the better shots overall, who can who was the guy that won the grappling sections when they were there? You look at what Fabian Edwards did, he got one round. Mike Shipman got two rounds. And he didn't get the fight because he's not pretty to watch. Fabian Edwards is that smooth, beautiful style. He does things very well. He flows. It's just it's like watching art when you watch him move. Mm -hmm. And Mike Shipman is like watching a train wreck. As far as just the jerky movement, yeah. but you've got to give credit to what is effective in the fight. And I can't believe one of the judges gave Fabian Edwards every round. I just look at him like, "What are you watching?" You know. Uh, yeah, but but again, it's that <laughs> the human eye sometimes, when it watches that style that just looks like it's uncomfortable, they they think to themselves, "Oh, he's uncomfortable," and that's that's a problem in the fight. 
Yeah, that's not really. Yeah, that's not fair. That's not fair. No, shit, it's not man. fair I, at all. But I, I, I saw Keith Jardine lose fights. You know, I watched him fight. You know, uh, Stefan Bonner. He lost that fight. Stefan Bonner was smooth. Now Stefan wasn't the smoothest guy, but he's a lot smoother than Jardine. And yeah. you watch the fight. You know, Jardine did some good things. Bonner did some good things. But he's got a herky jerky style. Mike Shipman yeah. is the exact same thing. And sometimes that will play in the eyes of the judges that they'll look at it and they'll go, oh, he's just, they don't give him as much credit. He's not as effective as he should be, or that's not as good as it was when you just got to go by how effective was he? Who, that may have looked really pretty, but did it actually have effect when that ugly thing landed? And yeah, look at it, it had effect. I yeah. felt bad for him. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was a close fight. I could see it potentially going either way. But I, and I'm a big Fabian fan. I'm also a Shipman fan. I, I was. I thought Shipman was going to get it on the judges' cards, um, but as soon as they said thirty twenty seven, <clears throat> I knew. I knew they gave it to, to Fabian because there's no way Fabian lost the third round. Yeah, I agree. And so I was like thirty twenty. I'm like, there's no way. He, there's no way they a judge. Would have thought Fabian lost the third round, and I was like, "So then, for sure, he won this fight." I'm like, "Well, there's, there's no, no way, way that Fabian won the second round." Yeah, that's true. That's true as well. That's true as well. So I, I don't know. Yeah, it was one of those fights. That I, I, now, here's this question: Do we run it back right away, or do we just go our separate ways, get nah, a couple wins ways. from both separate ways, get a couple yeah. wins, and then run it back again later on yeah. at another time? You know, it's time. It's time for Fabian Edwards to be brought up into that next. Uh, Echelon. So I would, uh, I think the fight that you want to make is either Fabian Edwards, bring him in with the John Salter, but I think Costello Von Stinas against you. Fabian <laughs> Edwards, that's the fight to make. That is the freaking fight to make. I cannot wait for that fight. That would be a hell of a fight. I just, I would be phenomenal, man. Like to me, that's the fight to make for sure, 100%. And you know, and I think, I think another good fight, I'd like to see Shipman and Salter. That would you know that wouldn't be a bad fight. Yeah, it really wouldn't. Salter you know, is a pro Salter's a problem for guys right now because his yeah. ground game is so good. Yeah, you know when you think that you're good on the ground and you are, you are good on the ground. You mm -hmm. can control most guys. You can get you can get guys to you can force them into going the way you want and getting that position you want, and then you start grappling with a guy like Salter and you go, holy shit, what is that? It's just a different level, and there are those guys out there, and Salter's one of them. So Salter's here, but then you've got Lovato <laughs> Jr. that's like here. Yep. You know what I mean? And you saw that with the with their fight. Like he's got good good enough wrestling to stop Lovato's Lovato Jr.'s takedowns until the third round came, and he made a mistake, and the fight was done, just like yeah, that. It was. That's, it. that's it's impressive, man, to see what the difference is between levels like i don't know i don't ever i don't can't recall who said this but it, like someone did say there is levels to this game and uh <laughs> yeah. it's, it's fucking it's true man it's awesome well, it's awesome to levels. see definitely awesome to see all right let's get to the obvious controversy or the not controversy. controversy it's it's more of just the social media just backlash that we're not not we're getting but mvp is getting the bellator is getting let's talk about it let's talk about people and 
and what they're they're criticizing MVP's opponents. They're criticizing MVP and what he does. But let's be real. Let's. I'm gonna, my first take is this: He was supposed to fight Derek Anderson. Yeah. The fight was. He, Derek got hurt, and his last minute replacement was Melillo. When Melillo came, like that. This is this is the guy that was low, kind of you know we could bring over. He had a good record. I believe he was 13 and two. I mean, it wasn't like he was a. a um, he wasn't a bum. The thing is, is MVP's supposed to be doing what he he's supposed to be doing this to these guys, you know. And <laughs> he, when you get last minute replacement guys, you know they're not in shape, and you know they haven't had time to game plan for somebody like him, you know. Malilo probably, and I'm not gonna, I'm not trying to knock Paul Daly, but Malilo probably would have had a better performance against someone like Paul Daly, who's a straightforward fighter, not a whole lot of movement, just wants to throw down. I'm not saying he would have got would have gotten any further than he did with MVP, but I'm simply saying that it's a traditional style of fighting is 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 Paul Daly versus MVP is not. And when I did the fighter interviews, and Malilo turns to me and goes, "Yeah, I'm gonna figure him out when I'm in there," <laughs> <laughs> I shook my head. I you was like. Should- I- you just should have looked at it and said, that's a great idea. A great idea. I didn't idea. even know what to say. <laughs> I had no I had no clue what to say. I was like, wow, I, uh, this is not. I was in my mind. I'm like, this is not going to go well. Oh, <laughs> this so is not. It's going to be ugly. Yeah, I, I just, look, I, I, I've sparred and trained with a guy that is just phenomenal for years. Uh, you know, I just had a rough time, you know, actually getting when he got in the cage of performing. But in the gym. He reminded me a lot of like how Vitor Belford, people talked about Vitor Belford taking Luke Rockhold down. He's taking, you know, DC, Dale Cormier down. Like he, we're talking 155 pounder and Thomas Dion, just a phenomenal kickboxer. But when the bright lights turn on, he had a hard time, you know, MVP doesn't have that problem. But the thing is, is when you're trying to game plan or deal with somebody that is that good, so fast, so quick, it doesn't matter what level you are; they're always hard to deal with, and you see uh, it with the top guys that fight Stephen Thompson. Yeah. Same shit. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some comparisons, and yeah, Bobby Razak is a friend of mine, and and Bobby's from England. Bobby's a great guy, yeah. black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, does incredible I know film Bobby. documentaries and everything. Mm-hmm. And he, he put a tweet out, and I love Bobby, and he put a tweet out saying, you know, I'm, I'm really getting disappointed with who they're giving, you know, MVP. And I'm like, Bobby, what do you want? That he had a tough fighter in mm-hmm. Derek Anderson. And Derek Anderson is a tough fighter. Derek Anderson is a guy, as 16-3, and three, we'll say, is a record. So very comparable to, you know, MVP coming into that fight. He had he's been submitted or stopped in a fight one time that was against Marcin Held, who submits everybody. Yeah. You know if he's going to get a win, so he submitted Derek Anderson. Other than that, he's, his other two losses are by decision, split decision to Campos, I think, or unanimous to Campos and splitting another one. Beat uh, Patricky Pitbull twice, and is of the size now that he needs to move up to the 170 yeah. pound. That would have been a very good opponent. You got to look and say, MVP has been moving up in the people they put him in. They put him into the tournament. He beats Paul Daly. He loses to Douglas Lima. All right. Mm-hmm. So when when he's coming into this fight, he's at what fifteen and one, right? Fifteen and one. So there's sixteen fights there. Seventeen fights. We'll say it's since he won the fight. I want to go back and I want you to think of Anderson Silva is similar to MVP. So let's take a look at Anderson Silva's 
first 17 fights. The records, if you look at everything, the record for Anderson Silva as far as his record at the time was 14-3 and three at 17 fights, all right? His opponent's combined records, 155 wins, 60 losses, and 11 draws. But if you take one fighter out of that, being Jeremy Horn, who at the time that he fought Anderson Silva was 70 and 12. Okay, 70, 12, and 5. So at the time that he fought Anderson, that's a whole lot of wins you're putting into that. So if you take him out, Anderson Silva, 85, 48, and 6 was the combined record of the people he had fought at the time that he got to 17 fights. Mm-hmm. MVP right now, 211, 92, and 2. So comparatively, is the experience level of the people he's fighting better than what you got with Anderson Silva? Or even comparable if you put Jeremy Horn back in the mix? Yeah, it is. They've been giving him people. Anderson Silva had five people that had losing records when he fought them. Five. MVP has had one person have a losing record. It was his second fight as an as a pro mm-hmm. in mixed martial arts. So you can take a look and comparatively, it's hard to find people at a certain point that want to fight that guy. Yeah. And that's your problem for Bellator is you can look and say, are there matchups you can put them against? Yeah, and there's a matchup that I think is one that, you know, you could put him in in a, in a couple of ways. You can put him against a Neiman Gracie, but Neiman is fighting here coming up in uh, in Hawaii. Or you, there's a guy named Logan Storley who's 11 mm-hmm. and 0 right now. Great wrestling, mm-hmm. has looked phenomenal. I would love to see Logan Storley and MVP. You can't just keep putting. You can't put him right back against Douglas Lima. That doesn't make sense. No, I got you. It just doesn't. If you want to, if you want to give Paul Daly that bump and say, "Oh, you want to try him again?" I think that's okay. You could you could put him in against Paul Daly again. Yeah. I don't think I don't think it's going to be the same as it was the first time. I think it's going to be a lot different. But I don't think it's going to go Daly's way. Mm-hmm. Now I could be wrong, but it's figuring things out and looking. Paul Daly came in with a great game plan that MVP was not prepared for. Yeah, that's not going to happen the second time. So that means that you're going to get into that stand-up battle with him now, or you're going to try to bring that wrestling game plan back out and see if it'll work. People are, you've got to look and understand when you've got a guy like Michael Venom Page, he's different. And he's someone that when you have a fighter pull out, you're not going to find a good fighter that is going to want to go on a week and a half's notice and face that guy when they go, I have had no opportunity to prepare for what he does. Yeah. So, you know, Bellator did what it could. I don't care if it's Bellator. The U- I've seen the UFC do the same thing, and people complain. It's like, what do you want them to do? Yeah. What they're trying to do is they offered this guy a fight. His opponent fell out, and they're trying to find him somebody now that they know is not as good as the opponent they gave they, they had in the beginning, but it's all they can come up with because no one mm-hmm. wants to take that fight. That opportunity doesn't look so great. Yeah, I mean, you got to take a look at Khabib and Ali Quinta. 
you know, and how that fight came about. Remember how you know, the injury happened, and here you yeah. are now. And that the the, the promotion stuck in a in a shitty situation. Oh, they're gonna, totally. They do doing the best they can. I believe Malilo was like thirteen and two, so he has a winning record. It wasn't, you know, obviously some of the people we he's fought. We, we don't know. We don't know who they are. Like in they're the European market is being freshly tapped into, and that's what we're doing. Like as Bellator's trying to get their get their you know their their hands in there and get a, get a hold of all these untapped talented guys and no one's going to want to turn around and fight MVP it's like it would be no different if someone threw somebody out to to say hey T, T Woods hurt he's getting he can't fight Stephen Thompson everyone's going to uh, Steven Thompson's like the hardest guy to fight. Like, he just really, you have to prepare for him a little bit, or at least yeah. have some. You cannot figure. He's and different. Malilo said it. I'm gonna figure it out when I'm in there. And you saw what happened to him. And other fighters know you cannot. Talented top guys, they're gonna register in their hand. Like, I cannot figure that guy out in one week. How many guys? And, how many guys would be happy? Do you think? Or I, they, I know they wouldn't take it, but. Let's take 170 pound fight, and you you are preparing for somebody, and then they say, "Hey, Josh, you know what? Uh, that guy's out. We're gonna give you Ray Daniels, and you got a week." No thanks. <laughs> exactly, and you're the guy no that's guy. in the main position, and you look and you go, "Uh, uh, I am not gonna fight a guy like that when I don't have time to prepare for him." Yeah, because not the guy that are- did the. The night, the guy that did the nine twenty, and then knocked the guy out with the f- a punch. No, that's thank Ray you. Daniels. I'm, I'm done with no thanks, bud. Raymond Daniels, you know, if you have not tried to prepare for what he does, you are in deep trouble, and that's that's what's going to happen when you have you know someone pull out of a fight with MVP. It's hard to get that replacement. Yeah, for me, I felt like Derek Anderson was the perfect step up in competition that he needed for that next level. And then once you got past Derek Anderson, you really were just going to, after that, it was like there was nothing else. You have Neiman Gracie, you've got John Fitch, you've got, you brought up somebody else. Who was the other name? Logan Storley. I Logan think be, Storley. Yeah, that's a good one right there. You know, that's another one. So you have those three guys. I, you know, I, I would like to see Neiman Gracie and Logan Storley fight because now you have somebody like Neiman Gracie who's going to utilize or make Logan Storley stand a little bit more. You know, because on top, I mean, I, you never know. You never know. I mean, it'd be kind of foolish to go down that go down to the ground with Nima Gracie in the beginning of a fight, knowing that you're dry. You know, if the fight <laughs> goes on, I can see you getting away with it. But look, that's a fight to that's a fight, another fight to possibly make. As far as what people are thinking, as far as MVP, I would like to see him fight Derek Anderson. I want to see that fight happen. I think the length, the range, the size of Derek Anderson is huge. People don't realize how big Derek Anderson is. He's big, man. I mean, no, he's, he's five, a lightweight. I had someone on Twitter tell me, John, you used to tell the truth, and now you're just you're no, shilling. And I'm like, are you need- kidding me, man? I, I'm, I'm talking about a guy that is he's lost three fights in his career. He's still young, and he is a monster to everybody. Yeah, uh, he, he had issues making weight at fifty five. Yeah. a couple times, and when he didn't make the weight, and we got to revert back then and say, hey. He had a hard time making the weight back then. Now he's he's trying to go to 170. I think 170 is going to be a better better place for him. I also feel the same way about Asada Wad. That's another thing. Maybe you put Asada Wad against MVP after a win or two. You know, that's another another guy. That I think his fight's a lot better at 170. So that's, that's just it, my two cents. I, I, I would like to see Rory McDonald. Put Rory McDonald and MVP together. You want to see a fight? Hello. Rory already fought someone similar in Stephen Thompson and didn't have 
you know, the the best best results. He you know he he did everything he could, tried Imanari roles, everything, couldn't get him down. Maybe this time with MVP, it would be a different story. That's a good idea. I'd like to see that fight as well. That's, That's what I'm here one. for. That's what I'm here for. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't even think about the MVP situation and scenario. Very true. Um. Yeah, that's the Bellator thing I think that's very good. I think I'd like to see that. Look, the next thing I wanted to talk about was um, the Gina Carano interview. Let's talk about that. She was today on Ariel Hawani. And Ariel finally got his interview with Gina Carano. <laughs> what a horn dog. What a horn dog. <laughs> he was whining and crying. I saw the beginning of the interview, and he was like, I don't get it. You've done interviews with other people, but you never did mine. I'm like, Ariel, calm down. Stop. <laughs> Stop whining, stop crying. It's not that she doesn't like you. It's just like she said, she she was looking for a moment to have something to brag about and talk about. And like, hey, my movie's doing great, or this is gonna be a great movie, or whatever it was. You know, I'm coming back, you know. And um, but look, the one thing obviously, and I already can read all the responses. People are gonna think that I'm Dana bashing, but I'm not Dana bashing. Yes, you I'm are. Just I'm not. I'm not Dana bashing. <laughs> look, is is I want I want I want to take all the fans into the psyche of the fighters and the psyche of the fighters like look you when fighters have to deal with promoters boxing MMA doesn't make a difference there's a level of of I don't want to say harassment but there's a level of mistreatment what is it what was the word abuse tension abuse abuse yes there is a level of abuse that you have from your promoter to the to the athlete. And and it doesn't go that way with all promoters, okay? But we've seen it time and time again um over, you know, with with Dana and the main part is we're sticking I'm going to stick with is on the girl is with Gina Carano and the negotiations of when she was offered a million dollars. And you have the backstory on this. You I mean you she confirmed everything that you and I had already known, or you had just told me, or you had already told me. But yeah. can you give me the full rundown on what what it was basically this this interview talks about? Well, she had um, she got an offer from the UFC. They they you know decided at the time Ronda was you know just riding high, and they were looking for big fights that they could sell for big pay per view dollars. And Gina's name came up. They they asked her to come out to lunch. I know that it, it went very well. You know, I think she brought all that up with Ariel and stuff, and um, they offered her a million dollars for that fight. But she had, you figure her last fight was against Chris Cyborg. You know, that fight in, in Strikeforce, she had not fought since. Her last training camp for that fight was at Extreme Couture. And uh, so she didn't have any kind of, you know, anything around her, nobody to even start to talk about, you know, an idea of how to prepare for Ronda or anything like that. And she had asked, you know, just do me a favor and give me six months of time to get a team together and get myself kind of back into the flow of training. And yeah, I'll take the fight. Just give me that time. Just don't let people know that, that this is what I'm doing. You know, it's okay if people see me back in the gym. I just don't want them knowing that I am going to be fighting Ronda. Yeah. And that was agreed upon. And shortly thereafter, it became, you know, out there that Dana came out and said basically that he was trying to sign Gina Carano to take on Ronda Rousey. And Gina, you know, Gina is a, she's a different 
person. She's very, she's very uh, shy. She's very quiet. Uh, she doesn't communicate with, you know, she's got her people that she talks to and she wasn't happy about it. And one of the people that she, she used to talk to a lot was Randy Couture. And, uh, then there was a, a text that was sent and I don't, it wasn't meant to be sent to her, but it was a mistake or somehow because her name, somehow it got sent to her and it basically was saying, you know, that she wasn't, you know, she wasn't being uh, easy going in this, you know, negotiation and what was going on. And she sent, you know, sent it back to Dana and Dana said, yeah, that was meant for you. And from that point, she didn't talk to him. She just iced him out. Yeah. And that's the kind of person she is. And that's the way she should be. She should not take abuse from anybody over anything when it comes to the negotiation of a fight. Yeah. She had agreed to something. They had agreed to something. And someone didn't hold up their end of the agreement. And then they're upset about the fact that someone's not being helpful to them when they haven't held up their end of the agreement. That's yeah. what happens. You know? Yeah. That's what it is. I, she kind of hit the nail on the head. She said she was basically felt like she was trying to be bullied into the fight. Like she was trying to get, she was, and we've seen that countless <laughs> times. We've seen that countless times with Dana and we've seen it uh, with, with boxing promoters as well. Um, it's, but I just want to go back to when people ask me about Chris Cyborg and they ask me about other fighters that, that Bellator has signed and they've, they continuously said like, oh, well, they left for easier competition. I said, no, they actually left because they like to be treated better. That's one. And two is because they got, they got paid more. You know, and so when I had, when you talk to guys like Ryan Bader and Phil Davis and Gegard Mousasi and you and myself, I you know I talk to myself all the time. Um, but, you know, I have, <laughs> have, I have great conversations. conversations. Yeah, it's great conversations. <laughs> um, I amazingly, we always agree. But it's um, you know, and and now and now Cyborg, you know, and I, I haven't had an opportunity or a chance to talk to Kat Zingano, but she's now with Bellator as well. But look, the the conversation always comes back to the fact that. They don't like the way that they're being treated. And Gegard was like number two or three, I think, on the scale. And was basically like next in line for a title he shot. He was. Jacques Array was ahead of him. There was no reason for him to leave. He was on a win streak. Like he was winning fights and he was like one fight maybe, maybe just right next in line for a title. Because Jacques Array ended up losing to Yoel Romero, I believe. And then Gegard would have potentially have been next or somebody else right in front of him. So he maybe would have had to fight one more time. But... There was no reason for him to leave. It really just came down to the fact that he that he didn't like the way the UFC was treating him, which means Dana White was treating him, and he didn't and he was getting paid more money somewhere else. So I would like to just I would wish that people would understand. I know they're not gonna, okay, but I wish people would understand that like sometimes when you see in these in the in the bigger sports, let's say NFL, NBA, uh, Major League Baseball. These guys don't leave teams because they want to be always on the winning team. They leave teams because they want to make more money. Yep. And whatever team, sometimes the better, sometimes the shitty teams have a bigger salary cap, and they want to go there and they want to they want to make more money because they they can make millions to retire on. Like after they're done, they know that they're gonna the money is gonna be there. Like it doesn't make a difference about the UFC. The, the UFC is not gonna be there for them anymore. And Chuck Liddell <laughs> found that out. They're not gonna be there for them anymore. Like you, you have well, to beg to get tickets to go to the events, and either is the money. That's the whole point. Is when you stop, they're not sending you more money. 
No. You know, it's they don't care about you. It's like, oh, okay, you retired. Have a nice, have a nice yep. life, and you better be able to live off of what you made. This is we talked about fighters' careers, and I always say, if you have a ten-year career, you had a great career. Now there are guys that I absolutely have, you know, careers that are twice that long, but it's not the common. It's the common is. You know, fighters have careers usually of about four to five years. You have a 10-year career, you're doing good. You have a 15-year career, fantastic. 20-year career, incredible. But this is your moment to set yourself up for the rest of your life. And you've yeah. got to make as much money as you can because you don't know which fight it's going to be that's going to change you, that's going to make it to where you don't fight as well now for the rest of your career. And those fights are out there no matter what organization you're fighting in. I'm never going to sit here and say the UFC isn't great. They're great. No, they but, are great. But the fighters in Bellator are great too. And if you go to any gym that has fighters from both Bellator and the UFC there, you're going to find out quickly that they all know that there's no difference between them. Yep. They're all just good fighters. Yeah. And you've got to make your money when you can. And if Bellator is going to pay you more money, go to Bellator. If UFC is going to pay you more money, go to the UFC. Yeah. You've got to make your money when you can. This is what this is this is what baffles me the most. All I see all over social media from some of these fighters and some and and, and other athletes know your worth. All they post is all these dumb sayings and all these dumb quotes about know your worth. I have no idea why all of these guys, it's almost like they're afraid to piss off the UFC. They are. Like they're, and, but I don't understand why. Like, because. Just check, check out the free market agency. See where you're, where you can make the most money. Like they're, like I, like you, we, you said it yourself. When you're done fighting, they will not be sending you a check anymore. They nope. won't be giving you a little a little check in the mail. You're not going to get that extra ten grand or that extra twenty grand because you of who you were and what you did for them. Let me give you a little insight. Just until recently, Cowboy Cerrone has been fighting all the time, right? He's fought. His legacy has been he's fought everybody anytime. Been a company man the whole time. It wasn't until recently that he only, he was only making hundred twenty grand a fight. How fucking sad is that? A guy takes last-minute fights, steps up fights all the time. Now, finally, he got a bump in pay. And then I've already, I've, from what I understand, it's already been confirmed. Um, or maybe it hasn't been publicly confirmed. But he he's now pretty much got the fight with Conor McGregor, which is supposed to be at the end of January is what it sounds like. Maybe early February. They haven't got the exact date yet. thought it was but January 18th. Yeah, I think that got bumped, though, to Did something bumped? else now. Yeah. <clears throat> but, um... Yeah, because January 18th, I think, is now supposed to be, I don't know, in some, like, uh, Houston. And I don't think they're going to take it there. From what I understand, the fight was supposed to be in Vegas for Connor. So if that happens, anyways, it'll be Cerrone and Connor uh, in Vegas, I believe, is what they were saying. So if that fight happens, which it's pretty much agreed on by both parties, contracts are not fully signed yet, from what I understand, but it is agreed on for both of them. But this is finally his big money fight, but it's his money fight, I think, is more or less to, to say farewell. Like, hey, at least you made a lot of money in this fight, and now you can kind of just, if you want to fight one or two more times, cool, but if not, cool. But this is kind of like your send-off fight. But my point is, is that the end of the day, he's been he's the been the token company man for the UFC. Oh, he's, he's been fantastic he's for the UFC. Phenomenal. That guy, 
That guy, he's done everything they've asked him to do. Yep. And just until recently, a couple fights ago, he was only making 120 grand or 140 or 160. Like, I know maybe you guys are sitting home thinking, oh, that's a lot of money. That's a ton of money. But look, in, in whenever he's done fighting, that will be it. Like he's gonna have to find another career. He's gonna have to find another thing to, to make money to to provide for his family. And people don't get that. There's another 60 years of your life you still have to live. And that you damn, know, or you hope. that B, that BMF or BM what is BMR? His oh, BMR yeah. ranch, man. It's costly. Yeah. <laughs> it's I mean yeah, so I I don't I don't personally know what Donald makes. And you know, I I know that you know guys make more money than people think, but this is a fight that should have taken place three years ago. Yeah. No doubt about it. Now, that doesn't mean that I still won't want to see it now. But this is a fight. You know, when they did that, they had that that whole come together and, and Connor was in a in a cat fight with everybody and talking about red panties and all that stuff. And that that was the moment because he was supposed to fight, you know, uh Dos Anjos. Yep. And kind of got into it with Cerrone there. Jeremy Stevens was trying to give his little thing, but it was a matter of that. That was back when that fight should have happened. But it'll be nice. You know, I think it's a great thing for Donald. Uh, Connor hasn't been fighting. Donald has. Donald is not the same fighter that he was. You know, he he's. You can see there's a little bit of a regression in, in his abilities and stuff. We'll see what happens in it. But I hope he makes a ton of money off of it. He deserves it. He's been incredible for the sport for the. UFC as a company, Donald Cerrone is he's the man. I don't normally buy UFC pay-per-views. I usually just bootleg them. So <laughs> but just because So you'll bootleg that one too. No, no, just because he's on if he fights Conor McGregor, I will actually pay the full and I'll even get the HD just so he gets a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I've loved watching that guy fight for the longest time and uh he is exactly what I would hope that Every fighter would look up to and be like, he's amazing. Everything oh, about him. He is. I love the way he carries himself. He truly yep. is a fighter down at the heart. I love the way he is with his son. I love the way he is just on TV and care. He's it's him. This is who you get. This is who you're gonna get. And I I love everything about him. And like I said, I'm gonna buy the pay per view just because he's on it. Same here. <clears throat> I love to see him. So that's um, yeah. I, when we just talk about when we talk about fighters being mistreated and when we talk about the people don't understand why fighters want to leave or why they leave oh they couldn't do it or they couldn't handle it no it's not that some sometimes fighters just want to get paid more money that's one sometimes fighters don't want to be mistreated and with with cyborg she just she got tired of being called a man she got tired of being mistreated she got be tired of being um go, talked down to go back go back and look at all the things that happened yeah. you know be before chris was ever signed with the UFC because that signing was done by Lorenzo Fertitta. That was not done by Dana. Dana didn't even want that. Lorenzo was the one, hey, this this is the best female fighter in the world. We need to get her. And I agree with him. I agree with yeah. him, you know, 100% on that. And then everything that happened even before it, you look at the, you look at some of the comments that were made, just immature and yeah. wrong. This unnecessary, but I think she looked at it, believing Lorenzo, you know, that, Hey, you know, it's going to be good here. You're going to, we're going to take care of you. You're going to, you're going to fight. You're going to fight. Great. 
And then Lorenzo left, you know, he sold the company and she's in that position. And sometimes personalities just don't get along and hers and Dana's never really got along. And, you know, you need to be careful with what you say because, because you say something and it means nothing to you doesn't mean that it doesn't affect somebody else permanently. And some of the things that were said has affected her permanently. And she was very upset. I can tell you that I talked to her, you know, over a year ago, you know, year, it's a year, been a year and a half ago when she was upset about, you know, what was going on and, you know, said, I don't, I don't, I don't even want to be with this company because they just, they have no respect for me. They treat me wrong. I get lied to and you, no one think about yourself. I don't care what job you do. You work for somebody, you go to your boss and your boss tells you something, you walk out of the office and then the next day, what he said is exactly the opposite. How does that make you feel? You know, yeah. th this is what happens. It's no different in the fight game than it is in other. This, it's a job for the fighter. It's a job. This is how they make their money. And they have to believe in the person that they are working for, that that person has their best intent towards them and being fair to them. That's all they expect is, Hey, be fair to me. And sometimes that just doesn't work out. Yeah. Cause you got to think like Gina had said that basically she, he had sent a text saying the words, you know, yeah, this bitch is just doing this and this. And then when she had called stringing him, us hey, along, yeah, stringing us along. Yeah. He, she had said basically like, Hey, I think you said this to the wrong person. He's like, no, it was meant for you. And that, that right there, like you said, she just shunned him out and it was yep. done, like went, went radio silence. But when you have that, <clears throat> if somebody's willing to do that. She gave I, up a million dollars. Yeah. And that, a million that was dollars. That was back when people, when these guys, we, none of us were really making, no one's making that type of money. Come on. You know what I mean? They had a couple guys that were. She walked that was away it. from it because she said, you know what? I don't want to be around you. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. And so when people talk, when I hear, I read stuff on on Twitter and I read stuff on Instagram, and I should I shouldn't care, but I nope, feel, I really I really no, but I really feel I really do feel for Cyborg because there's a lot of things that were said a lot worse to her, and when people ask like, oh, she we left because she was scared. Does she? Oh, she hasn't been scared of anyone since she started fighting. You know, there was that, and then you know, and like, oh, she didn't want to fight the best girls. No, if you actually talk to Scott Coker and you actually talk to Bellator, they're willing to make that Amanda Nunes fight in Cyborg fight. But yeah. you know, the UFC is not Scott Coker is willing to make it, but yeah, Dana going White's not going to be willing to make it. No, he's not willing to make it. And the yeah. reason, and people should understand that the reason why she didn't resign is because she didn't want to be under the UFC banner anymore. Had nothing to do with that. Is that she would have had to sign a three fight deal? She fought for that. Well, time. no. You know, in fact, let's let's make this clear for everyone, okay? Because that was part of the whole thing. That Dana came out and said, "I will make her a one fight deal." Okay, so Dana came out and said, "I'll make her a one fight deal," but in him saying that, he's giving you a half truth. In the half truth is the contract is a one fight deal, but if she you will. become the UFC champion, meaning you win, you are under contract to me. Yep. So you can't go away. You you are now, you are mine. And she would have been now under contract with Dana as her boss. And she could do nothing about it until she lost her title. Yeah. It's 
it's rough, man. Ah, it's that's a good rough. world, man. It's, it's a, a it's it's a good world. <laughs> and they, they and they to go back to BJ Penn, they started doing that because BJ left when he was the champion. That's right. You know, yeah. I just love how all of this stuff is all intertwined with just oh, it is. years and years of just experience and experiences, life yeah. experiences. I mean, huh? Um. What else? I think, do you have a couple? Do we have any uh, fan questions? Let's answer about four or three or four of them. You got time, John? Absolutely. Okay. Um, I'll pull this one up right now. Did you see Mayweather said he's coming out of retirement next year? Oh, yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah, he's coming out of retirement. You know what they're doing. I, I think they're starting uh, Zufa Boxing. Zufa Boxing. Boxing. Congratulations. Yeah, they're trying to really get De La Hoya out. Yes, that's exactly yeah. what it is. Yeah, they're trying to shut Neither down. Neither of Wolverine them Wilson. like De La Hoya. Nope. Mayweather Productions does not like De La Hoya. Dana White obviously does not like De La Hoya. Yeah. And so, oh, hey, if we get together and do this for this amount of time, look at what we can do. Yeah. So, look out, man. It's coming. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, May Mayweather says he's coming out of retirement, but is he going to fight? Is he going to fight an MMA guy? Is he going to fight a boxing guy? Uh, you know that that is, I would I could see them doing something. I I say he comes out, he does an exhibition, something like that, because an exhibition does what to his record? Zero, nothing. nothing. Yeah. You could put him in anything; doesn't matter. You know how he looks, anything. You know he he he's got nothing to prove, and I would think for the, them to try to build something, they're going to use his name yeah. and his persona with it. But you know, not it. I, I I'm looking at it saying. Nice move, Dana. You no, know, I thought it was. I thought it was a brilliant. Nice move. By move. Dana. It was a Dana brilliant move. Just showed smart move. Yep. Yeah, but here's my next question: Is now that you have Zufa boxing, and are you going to have? Is he, I'm just wondering if he's going to have crossover, and then those fighters that are under contract with the UFC, well, as soon as they go to boxing, they're under the Muhammad Ali Act. Uh, How uh, does? It's all. <laughs> first off, they're under contract as a MMA fighter with the UFC. Now, if the UFC allows them out of that contract for a fight in boxing, then yes, the boxer is under the same stipulations that the Muhammad Ali Act has in place, meaning that the promoter would have to show them exactly how much money they're making on the event. They get a certain percentage uh, or the all the fighters on the card get a certain percentage of that amount. You know, there's all kinds of other little things involved. And the other part is that the contract, if you are a boxer, you cannot have a boxer that is a promoter and manages you in any fashion. So right now the UFC doesn't do that anyway, so it doesn't matter. Hmm, interesting. All kinds of little things. I wonder if this can get held up in court. <laughs> you know what? You talk to Mark Hunt. Let's see how, how he feels about uh, taking the UFC to court. <laughs> that poor yeah. guy. Yep. Wow. It's interesting to see, man. It really is. Yeah, it, it really is. is. interesting to see. Well, anytime that you go to court and you, your lawsuit ends up being dragged into, into Nevada and you're going against those guys Kiss it goodbye. It ain't gonna happen. Wow. Doesn't matter how right you are. It ain't gonna ain't gonna go your way. 
flashbacks of when Vegas first started, huh? Mafia. Oh, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> let, me, you know, let me tell you. If you think fighting is fair, you're crazy. Especially uh, when it comes to the those kind of fights with those guys. You ain't going to win. What do you got for us, Dave? <clears throat> this one comes from Austin Meadow, who asks, um, what steps would you suggest someone to start taking if they've got an interest in becoming an MMA judge or just kind of working within the <clears throat> the process of glove fitting, weigh-ins, etc.? I guess that one's for you there, Josh. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. There's, I've, I've, I have no way of answering that question. If, uh, if you have an interest in being an MMA judge, first thing you need to do, get yourself to the local gym of your area and start learning MMA. You need to understand all of the different techniques that guys are using. And when I say techniques, we're talking not only about submission, we're talking about wrestling techniques because you need to judge what these guys are doing. So you need to understand a single leg, running the pipe, double leg, high crotch, all these different types of wrestling takedowns. You need to know what an Osotogari is, an Uchimata, a Sionagi, you know, a Haragosh, a Tayatosh. You know. All these are things that you need to know. As soon as it's being done, you know exactly what it is. Because if you don't know what the fighter's doing, how do you judge the fighters in what they're doing? So you've got to have knowledge of the sport and, and knowledge beyond, I watch all the UFCs. Okay, that's not the knowledge that we need. Then if you have that type of knowledge, you're that good, then you need to find a course. There's, there are courses out there. I teach one once a year. It's in uh, International Fight Week in July in Las Vegas. Uh, you can find a couple outs out there, and you need to take one of those. It'll give you an idea of exactly what is the criteria that you need to be judging off of, how to use that criteria, what elements you should be looking at. It's going to give you all that information. It'll give you everything there is as far as what you need to know. Then you need to be going to your local state athletic commission and finding out which amateur programs are out there in your state and how you get involved with them, contact those amateur programs and say, you know what, I just want to be part. And if that means that you become an inspector first and you sit in the back with fighters and you watch and you learn how to tape hands and how to watch that, just become part of the sport and eventually get moved into possibly starting to judge amateur fights, that's how you start to do it. If you think it's a fast journey, you're wrong. It's not. It's going to take you a lot of years, but that's the way you do it. Stay committed. I did this for three years on my own before Mr. Josh Thompson gave me an opportunity. So I got beat up by Pat Barry in, in the process. He, he didn't even know what he was doing until I brought him along. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, what's I, next? I have a good one from Daniel McZilla. Um, he asks in two pieces. His first piece is, Big John, can you tell us uh, Tony Ferguson's story? And then Josh... Can you go more in depth on your fight with Tony, where you were in your career, Tony's place in the sport at that time, and what you think about him now? Uh, do you have a Tony Ferguson story off the top of your head? Yeah, I mean, I, sure. You, he trained at your gym for a while. <laughs> yeah, he did, man. No one wanted to train with him. He was crazy. <laughs> uh, you know, he trained the same way he never did anything that wasn't at a hundred percent. Even when you're, you're, you're trying to tell him, Hey, this is technique. Go, go easy right now. Now, everything Tony did 
was at a hundred percent. He, if you weren't, if you weren't willing to go hard with him, he just was not into it with you, and there needed to be somebody else. And he was funny because he had that personality. The guys liked him and they hated him. And it was, you know, it was, it was that, you know, yeah. you know, I really like him. He's such an asshole when you train with him, right? But yeah. he's just got that motor and he's got that focus of, I need to go hard. And you know, that's made him who he is. It's also broken him at times, I think, to a point. But he's, he's a character. He's a special guy. I love the guy. And, uh, his, his, you know, the one thing I, I always love is I see his, I used to, when I would do his fights, his dad would always come up to me and, and talk to me and, and he would ask, actually ask me, what do you think? <laughs> and that was, you know, before the fight was going to happen. And I would always talk to him and be honest with him. I say, Hey, this is what he needs to do. If he does that. He's going to be fine. But Tony's a great guy. What was the question for me? What um, was the question for me? <laughs> Um, can you go into more depth on your fight with Tony, where you were in your career, Tony's place in the sport at the time, and then what you think about him now? Um, my, my thought process on him hasn't changed, like what I think of him now. Like I was never somebody that had a whole lot of emotions um, that were involved with the, with the other person that I was fighting. I, I've always looked at this as just a job. And I mean, that's why when people, when I, when I was with the UFC and they got rid of the division, I was like, okay where else am I going to go? Went to, I went and started fighting kickboxing for Scott Coker. And then, uh, then I went and fought in pride. It was like, I just, I always treated it like a job. This is a job, man. Like, and you can't get attached to, even though I am attached to, to Scott Coker and Bellator, but I was attached to, to Scott Coker and strike force though, as well. I, I, look, I've tend to, I tend to follow or not follow, but I tend to sur- try to surround my, myself with people that I know I enjoy being around. You know, and Big John and I are, are walking proof of that right now. That's why we're doing a show together is, you know, we started off doing shows for Bellator. I just gravitated towards him because I, I enjoy being around people that have that are just endless amounts of knowledge. I mean, I love talking and picking the brain of of him and just other fights and past fights. And 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 so when I talk when we're talking about Tony and the concept of me with Tony, I never I didn't think anything of him. I thought like I thought he was a good fighter. thought he was very dangerous. Um, he had a kind of a weird style of fighting, but you could tell that he felt when I we were talking earlier about Terry Brazier and and some other fights, you could tell that he is comfortable anywhere in that cage. No it doubt doesn't about make, it. You take me down, I don't give a shit. Okay, if I if we're on the feet, I don't give a shit. You got my back, who cares? I don't care. Like, yeah, you mount me, I don't give a, He doesn't care. He doesn't ca- he just knows, okay, look, I don't want to be here. Time to get out. Okay? And like that's when I knew I'm like, shit, man, he has the same type of mentality that I have. Some guys though when they they get mounted, they panic. They just like they just yeah. start turning to their side, just cover up and like they're never they're not always you should always be trying to get out. And if you're not, once you just get into the fetal position and cover your head, you've lost the fight. And he doesn't do that. He's always moving. He's always trying to do something. He's and I knew that this was gonna be one of those fights. Um, as far as where I was in my career, it had nothing to do with him. And I'm gonna t- I wanna give him full credit. I had said this before, I, I felt like Outside the Eves fight, the Clay Guida fight, which I thought he was greased, and, and I like Clay, you know, but I thought that fight he was greased. He had a bunch of stuff in his hair, and it just got real slippery within like a minute and a half in the fight, and it changed how, how I fought the fight. And then after that, the, at the end of the first round, I got cut really bad, and it just changed the whole dynamic of the fight. But with Tony, I just knew that he just was one of those guys, and nothing against him. 
I just was kind of one foot out because I was already in my mind. I was like, I'm headed to Bellator. That you didn't want to be with the UFC. I didn't want to be with the UFC. And yeah. so when I, when I speak to you guys about what Cyborg is going through, I was already there. Look, I knew when I when Strikeforce was when Strikeforce got bought out by the UFC, I knew I was not going to stay there long. I was already thinking maybe one because I had worked for one already. Um, I was working for one, I think, at the time or right shortly after I was in communication with them about commentating for them and making a move potentially over there once my contract was up. Um, you know, it just, I just, I, I'd already fought for the UFC. I already fought for Dana White and I knew it wasn't where I wanted to be, but I had to do the best I could to make it, you know, happen for me. The other thing as well is there was a lot of rumblings. And like I said, I'm good friends with a lot of guys that were, that were, really close to, to to Dana White you know and so when I was when I when I got offered the title shot I didn't really get offered the title shot I don't want people I want people to understand that that title shot was not really offered to me it was offered to me the deal was done the contracts were signed and then Pettis got hurt supposedly you know it was like one of those things that he was a young talented very talented guy and I was not really ever going to be given that title shot no difference than when dan henderson was supposed to supposed to fight john jones same thing happened john got apparently hurt and dan was forced to fight somebody else and no 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 no, no. That, that's reversed that's reversed really dan dan was supposed to fight john dan pulled out i thought john and, got hurt and then john oh. based upon greg jackson said you know he didn't he didn't like that they were going to bring chael sonnen in and because that was the person they were going to go and that, that was UFC 151 that okay. never happened. So that's right. That's yes. right. I do recall that. Okay. Just okay. want to make so, sure you got it right. Yeah. I'm sorry. My apologies, you guys. But look, uh, to talk about, to talk, to go back to Tony, everything was just changed, like in the dynamic of where I was in my career. As far as like I was supposed to fight for the title, it didn't happen. And when I was, I was, was never offered anybody else. And so I had to actually tell them that I was like, Hey, I'm not going to take a fight until he's ready. And they told me, well, fine, you can fucking sit on the sidelines for a year. And I was like, fine. So I had my manager call him and tell him, Hey, well, Josh is financially stable. He'll be okay for a year and he'll wait for that title shot. And within a week they called me back and they said, how about Benson Henderson? I said, I'll take that fight. Like all I wanted was somebody ranked higher than me or ranked right there. Ranked with within you. Yeah. Yeah. Within me. I even yeah. asked for Donald Cerrone because I think Cerrone was ranked number five at the time. And I said, I'll take Donald. And they said, no. And then I said, well, you know, as I just, I was asking for anybody that was in that conversation and they weren't willing to give it to me. And so I said, all right, well, fuck it. So I'll that just wait. Damn Joe Silva. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you, yeah. So look where I was in my career. Once that, once I fought Tony, I was one foot out. I already knew that I wanted to leave, and I, I had a good idea that I wanted to leave, and um, I knew I was going to leave. And as far as what I think of him, I think he's a phenomenal athlete, man. He's he's fucking great for the sport. He really is a good guy, and I love what I love all the things that he's done. The only thing that I wish that he would have done that would have changed for him was he should have taken that that interim title shot, I think, against Khabib. Or was it against Khabib or... Dustin Poirier. Dustin Poirier. He should have done that because then Dustin got the title shot. And I don't think that Dustin could have beat Tony at this point in his career. You know, and so I think Tony would have won and Tony would have been fighting Khabib and they would have they would have had their fight already. And I just yeah, feel but like they, he's... That should be their fight. That should be the fight. The only problem with that fight, it should be Khabib facing Tony. Yeah, that it should have be, been. That should be Khabib's next fight. 
Yeah, but Khabib was out though. No, it will be. They, I think they had, they're basically saying the contracts aren't April, signed, but yeah. today they That's said it. that it's supposed to be scheduled for yeah. April. Yeah. Then you just got to yeah. put them both in the bubble, so they don't yeah. get hurt. They don't step on any cables. They don't. They don't dehydrate. <laughs> yeah. Well, here here's my my concern is this though, and and I'm I'm obviously Team Khabib. But the thing is, though, is if you're talking this conversation, this fight should have happened over two years ago. Yep. Tony Ferguson is now pushing 37 years old, or 36, 37. So he's, he's older. I'm not saying we're not going to get the same Tony that I fought, but this is around that time I started feeling myself not be the same fighter. Right? 30, 30, I knocked out Nate at 36. Like, 37 was that, like... All right, you're not really what you used to be. And you just started see I started feeling it. I started I'm not saying that that's going to happen to him, but it is starts to get it starts to get around that age. And so, who knows? Maybe he shocks the world and beats Khabib, you know, but I, I just I would have liked to have it's almost like the Mayweather and Pacquiao fight. I wanted to see this three through fucking 3 years ago. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at right now with this whole situation. But yeah, I think as, he's a phenomenal person. He's a phenomenal athlete. Same as I'm talking about Connor and, and Cowboy. Should happen yeah. three years ago. Yeah. But I still, I still want to see it. I still, I will put my money down. <laughs> yeah. So now all people are going to ask though, Josh, is what do you mean by you're never really going to get the title fight? What do you mean? You said you were never really going to get a title fight. Yeah, I mean, like, the contracts were signed. We were supposed to fight. But the, you got to remember, during that time, Pettis got hurt. Apparently got hurt. Okay? And then everyone that I talked to that was close to Dana was like, they pretty much were just like, eh. Pettis is 26 years old at the time or 27 years old. Remember, he was on the cover of the Wheaties box. They, they were like, just let's just have you sit on the sideline for a little bit. We'll promote you, get you bumped and, and back up. Get you like basically spend that time. They've done this before with past guys, and they have won titles. They have basically taken some time, not said sit on the sideline, but let's take six months and let's go ahead and just go ahead and make you a star. Get you on some talk shows, put you on the news, you know, put you on the covers of the Wheaties box, those kind of things. I just feel like at that moment, I don't think that the the title shot, from what I heard, really wasn't going to be an option. We got close because then they turned around, and offered me. I want to say they offered me Kabbaloff. Was his name Kabbaloff? Yeah, Ruslam. Yeah, Ruslam. And he was, I don't even know if he was ranked in the top 15. I'm like, wait a second. And they were going to take me from the main event to the opening fight on, on TV. And I was like, nah, I'm good. I'll just take my time. You know, there's no reason. You know, and then that's when they came back with, hey, you know, well, then fine. You can sit on the sideline. And I'm like, all right, cool. I'll just sit on the sideline. I mean, I, I good thing was I made a lot of money in Strike Force. So when I went there and I fought Nate and beat Nate, it was like, okay, now I have more money. And I'm good. So, I mean, I was fine. Financially, I was okay. So, I could sit. Within a week later, I got a call. Okay, how about Benson? Because that's all I asked for. I just asked for somebody that was ranked where I was at. Give me yeah. somebody up there. You know? And it didn't work out. And this is the chance I took, though. That's what happens. That's the fight game. I'm happy with that decision. And I'm happy with where I'm at. So, somebody asked last week um, that we didn't get to, if you, if you and Gilbert fought and you won and you could get a title shot, it's like you're going out opportunity no. no no you wouldn't do it nope i have no interest in it All right. i have interest in one fight the, the <laughs> one fight i have interest in is me and gill that's it i'm done All right. like it, you will hear my official announcement my of my retirement right there on the spot mm. win or lose i'm done well if you lose i'm not big john's not going to come in and talk to you so <laughs> <laughs> john i think john will still talk to me i definitely would talk to you if, if he if he says i'm going to go for the title I'm going to pick him up and drop him. He's going to throw me out of the cage like Tate tried to do. That's uh, it. We, let's yeah. do a couple more. All right. So 
this one's really just targeted a big John, but I think it's a good one. Um, and it's uh, from Ray Galindo, and he asked, Big John, what was going through your head when you seen Nick Diaz lay on the ground versus Silva? And uh, what, if anything, do you teach referees regarding situations like this? Oh, you know, you, you don't teach people things that just don't happen, really. You know, I, the first thing that I I swear to you, when he laid down on the ground, I just looked and said, only fucking Nick Diaz. <laughs> <laughs> That was exactly That's what great, went through man. my mind. And and a lot That's of people, great. well, it's funny because a lot of people looked and said, you know, oh, my God, and we, what were you thinking? I go, it's pretty simple. I said, he lays down. I go, as soon as Anderson takes a step back, Anderson is the standing fighter. He's the guy in control. Hey, you got to get up. You know, and a lot of people were like, why didn't you let him, you, why didn't you let him fight there? There's, there's a, there is a bout conduct, and if a fighter is on the ground, and that standing fighter backs off of him. That's saying that I want him up, and we make him get up. And so it made it pretty easy for me. Yeah. But at the, I swear to God, at the time I said, only, only Nick fucking Diaz, man. That's <laughs> hilarious. He did all, you know, he, he took, you know, he turned his back to him and kind of showed his butt, laid down on the ground, and you look and you go, oh my, God, only you would even think of doing that against him. Let's talk. Uh, this since is brought up, it kind of gets me out of the Dag Damarigliata thing with MVP. What do you do in that situation? Uh, I'm sorry. The Dan Mariotta and MVP situation that happened in Dublin where, like, you know, MVP's beating someone and he dropped him or whatever, and yeah. then he's, like, oh. doing, like, selfie that's, shots. And yeah, that, that, it's simple. You know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of verbal communication at times in a fight between referees and fighters. People on the outside don't hear it. They don't know. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's things that are said all the time. So, hey, you, you, you tell Michael, Michael knock it off just fight and that's it you know it's as simple as that and 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 it's a matter of you got to look he fighting is a show and you need to figure out as the referee he is the showman now if it's crossing that certain line that you that you think is a hey, that's too much you can come in and say hey Knock it off. It's unsportsmanlike. You want me to take a point? <clears throat> it's going to come. And he's going to stop. All right? You don't have to jump that, you know, that yeah. fence line and go all the way. It's just you got to be you got to be really, you know, smart about when you're going to take points. Points are points are something that you you just don't take willy-nilly. I I one of the I'll bring this up. I love Joe Rogan and Joe all the time is Oh, I think, you know, you got an eye poke, automatic, take a point. You know, you got a groin shot, take a point. And, and I, I just feel like I would love one time. All right, Joe, here you go. We're going to take points the way you want. And then when he's going to have this fight where it's just out of control because those things do happen. Yeah. And if you're automatically just taking points, you know, he's going to have a guy that's beating someone easily but loses the fight. And he's going to be, oh, that's, that's ridiculous. No, it's not ridiculous <laughs> what you created. Yeah. So you have to be very smart and judicious with the taking of a point in MMA. It's it's a serious thing. Especially in a three-round fight. Yes. You know, you take one point, it's like, oh, man, you're making that guy fight twice as hard now to try and win, yeah, that, you could win be. that round. Yeah, you could be. And he could put himself in it, get himself in some serious trouble trying to overcompensate for that one point. Yep. Okay, well, let's do another one. Um, from Dominic Schrute, he wants to know, does Anthony Johnson get a top five heavyweight for his return fight, or do you think we'll see a warm-up fight first? I know what I'd like to see. 
I want to see him in a fight with a guy that's maybe in the top 15. Don't put him against someone in the top five right away. Let him get that fight, just get that feeling of getting back in the cage, you know, putting up with the media, putting up with everything. Don't don't stick him with that guy that, you know, is going to push him to that point where he might be taking a step too far. Give him the guy that it's a good fight. It's a good fighter. If he doesn't fight well, he's going to lose, but he doesn't have to deal with that little bit of element that happens when you're getting into the top five. There's there's a difference. The only thing is, is that I don't think that he's going to be keen, not him, but you have seen me keen on that because I believe they they granted his offer of $1 million for the fight. Okay, well, as soon as you start to bring the pay into that level, yeah, that can change everything, and yeah. that's okay. You know, if he's getting paid that, then you're getting paid to produce, produce. Yep. So my thought, though, is if he fights Volkov or if he fights Derek Lewis, I think he's got a really good chance of winning those fights, and that that's a good those are good. I think to me those are both good tune up fights for him. Not that I love both those guys. They're both tough, but they just I don't think they're both very hittable. They're both oh. stand right in front of them. You know, yeah. Volkov pose a little bit more like some dangers with his kicking and push kicking that type of stuff. But we've seen other guys try and do that to him and to, to AJ and AJ's been able to just starch him. I mean Gus was to me is a better fighter than Volkov and and Anthony dispatched of him very quickly. Yeah, but I've I, also, but I I, I've also kind of heard though too that he's potentially going to be getting to two hundred five to fight for the title. Well, I, I tell you, man, he the last time I saw him, he was so big and so yoked. big. I was like, how much do you weigh? And I think at the time he said two fifty seven. No, I think he was more. I saw him. I think he was like two seventy something. Well, he's at the, I, that's what I'm saying. At the time yeah. that I, I think he said two fifty seven, and maybe I'm. Wow. You know, and I was like, dude, and to, for him to get back down, yeah, that was a lot of weight he had, and that's a lot of muscle because he was big, and yeah. he wasn't, you know, yeah, he had some more fat on him, but he was muscular. Yeah. So. Yep. It's uh, two oh five would be, the, if he I, wants to yeah, do it. I think at heavyweight he's. I think at heavyweight he's money though. I think Volkov. So who, who else is there at heavyweight? What's the Corey Anderson? Is he at heavyweight? No, Corey he Anderson's light heavyweight. Who's who's the other heavyweight guy? There's Derek Lewis. There's Volkov, Ngannou. Yeah, you got you got uh, Blagoy. Blagoy is there. Blagoy. Yeah, I see. Blagoy's too slow Chris for Blades. him. Yeah, he is too slow for him. He's too hittable. Also, yeah. Anthony Ngannou's number two. Curtis Blades number three. Curtis Blades, that's who Curtis, I was thinking of. Well, Curtis is a good wrestler. Yes. Curtis has got good wrestling for you. And then that's that that thing uh -huh. in Nangano's gotten by him twice. So, uh -huh. you know, but sometimes he wrestles really well. Sometimes he doesn't. Anthony's got, he's got good wrestling defense. Uh -huh. Now, when he decides to fight Dan Cormier and he decides to wrestle him, I just, I look at him and go, what are I you know. doing? <laughs> but. I you know, he is he does have really good wrestling defense, so I don't see Blades taking him down. And Anthony Johnson doesn't hit any lighter than Ningano. And he's fa I think he's faster. Uh, at least he was. I don't know if he is now that he's put on all that weight, but I think Yeah, I don't know. He was but, so fast, man. But yep. People don't realize I trained with him for years, you know, and um I coached him for years actually, to be honest. And it was like 
he's so fast. He's the only guy that I had ever mounted. And he like threw a hammer fist from the bottom. And I swear to God, he almost knocked me out. I saw stars. I went limp. My, my body my body went limp for a second. I was like, like what the hell is that? I was like, shit, what the fuck was that? I, I had him mounted. And I was like hey. posturing up, trying to throw punches, like real light. And he fucking just hammer fisted me upwards. And I swear my body went limp. And I put my hands on the mat. And I was like, shit, man, I almost went out. Probably was, hitting you right in the top of the head. Bro, he, he hit me right in the face. It was like right on my, you know, what's that? What's the movie Bloodsport where the, where the white guy with the bandana grabs like the small guy and like just hammer fists him in the face and knocks him out? That's exactly how I felt. It's just like, boom, oh. Anyways. All right, man. Well, that was our last question or we have Sounds more. Good. But, um, but yeah, that'll work. Hey, buddy. Um, I will, I won't, I'll see you next week. I keep thinking I'm not going to see you till Hawaii, but I'll see you next week. Um, if anything else comes up this week, uh, are you are you available this week? Absolutely. Thanks, it's Thanksgiving uh, week. So, uh, it's all right. Uh, if he, Dave said he's available, if you're available, I can try to definitely do it as well. So if, if some it. more if some more news drops, I'd like to be able to uh, try to drop some more shows this week if we can. Sounds good. All right, buddy. Glad I'll to see you, man. You did a good job in uh, London, man. I was proud of you. Are you sure? You no, know, you good? did a good job, man. Yeah. <laughs> Good job, especially on the commentary stuff, man. You you know you you're covering things. You're making it easy for people. It's not you're not yeah. not getting too scientific. How's that? Yeah, I yeah. actually I actually had some British fans that were there said, "Hey, like I don't really understand the grappling. Like, can you can you please like just tell me about this and tell me about that?" I'm like, you know what? I don't know if the UK fans really understand grappling all that much. And so when I was talking to Dave Farrar, who's the guy who works with me, he goes, he's like, yeah, he's like, I've got tons of friends that would love to come. To, they'd love to come to live events. They're all, but they don't understand the grappling. So they're like, yeah, they just go back on their phone. And I'm like, they're like, so they don't go, they don't go to the event. Cause they're like, we don't understand any of the grappling. We don't know what it means. And so I'm like, all right. So like, I don't think you heard me while I was commentating. I was kind of trying to break down more of the positions, yep. you know? And, um, and then I even had some people texting me or uh, DM me from, from the UK. And they're like, Hey man, you made it so easy to understand. I want to thank you for just explaining it. Da, da, da. Like I didn't understand what he was doing when he was, when he kept lacing the legs and da, da, da. It, was, it was funny that someone like kept, kept figure four in the legs and i was like well so we can't move and it did work out it worked out better i'm glad you, glad you said it which means it really did work did good man <laughs> all right buddy i'll talk to you this week and then we'll try to get scheduled we'll for sure talk next week but maybe again this week sounds good man talk to you later all right bud have a good one bye bye, bye.